Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 4, verse 23 through 25, which you will find in the New Testament section of your pew Bibles on page 4 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose that way of your wisdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Matthew 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him to all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demonics, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the God, Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Matilda. I'd like to add just two additional readings that you'll find relevant to what we just heard. In fact, this next reading forms like a bookend to what we heard in Matthew 4, and now what we hear in Matthew 9. The words are, are almost identical. Matthew 9, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the great news of the kingdom and curing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask, the Lord of the, our harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then this next verse from Matthew 10, then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and sickness. And this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, for the past few Sundays, and I hope you haven't grown weary of the emphasis, the focus that we've been having the last few Sundays as we've been shining the spotlight on the meaning of, what it, of discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. And I hope by this time that you are agreeing with me, maybe on this one thing, that discipleship involves the whole person, that we are called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with our, with, our, with our head and our heart and our hands. I hope that you're not just giving a part of yourself, but you're giving all of yourself as you understand it to Jesus. N.T. Wright in his book, Following Jesus, Biblical Reflections on Discipleship, he said that disciples are not just head learners. They're not just heart learners, that disciples are life learners. And during Lent, I want for all of us to believe that. I want us to believe that God delights 
God's delight is to use your life and use your experiences, to use your hands in service to Jesus Christ. I so want us to believe that. But for this to happen, it means that we have to close the gap, close the gap between what we believe and what we do. And to me, that is the challenge of the discipled life closing the gap between what we believe and what we do. Let me illustrate very quickly for you. So our church is one of five or six congregations here in Evanston that's taking turns to host what's called this overnight shelter for homeless men and women. And anywhere in the world you go, you're going to find that there are people who don't live and sleep in homes. They live and sleep on the streets. We have them right here in Evanston. And as a practical opportunity to put into play, to put into play what we believe about following Jesus, we have decided to engage. And this is our opportunity to serve among the many other opportunities. And I want to encourage you, look at today's bulletin. Look at the opportunity that's there and see if God could be calling you to use your hands Use your hands in this kind of ministry, this ministry that brings us in touch with people. And yesterday morning, I, I, I roused my wife from her sleep, sweet slumber and said, we got to get to first prayers. And we got here before the roosters were alive or awake. And we came in and met these men and women, young men, young women, older men, black and white, and I looked at them, and I said to Judith as I was going home, I wish I had the time to hear their stories, because all these people were once somebody's little baby, and something went wrong. Something has happened. They all have a story. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. Jesus' method, what was Jesus' method? Jesus' method was to be engaged with people. Jesus was known in his day as a healer. Read the four Gospels, friends, and you will find that Jesus did several things. And Matthew lists it for us, right? He taught in their synagogues. And you can imagine on Shabbat, Jesus going into the synagogue, as we see in Luke 4, and was teaching in the synagogues. And then he was out publicly preaching and announcing the glorious message of the kingdom of God. And then it says he was healing those who were sick in body and spirit and mind. Preaching and teaching and healing. That's what Jesus was doing. You need to know this, friends. Jesus didn't sit in a building. Jesus didn't put a banner on the corner and say, come for healing or come for services. Jesus, the Bible says, he went to the people. He went through Galilee. The villages, the towns, he and his disciples teaching and preaching and healing, and this made him famous. His fame spread. If Jesus were here today, we would say Jesus went viral. That's how popular he was. And according to Matthew, then, these great crowds started showing up. They showed up as far away as Syria in the north. 
people in Judea, people in Jerusalem, people beyond the Jordan started coming to Jesus. And it wasn't just Jews. It was all kinds of people. And he was touching them and healing them. Jesus' method, he didn't invite them to a meeting. He invited them to repent. And this is the hard thing about the gospel. This is why, this is what separates people. Because we sometimes say, just come. We just want you to come. Because we like to see a big crowd, right? Let, let me say that. I would say, I like to see a big crowd. But Jesus wasn't interested in that. Jesus was presenting a very, very decisive message. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, and the people kept coming. And when they saw the power of God, when they saw lives being changed, they knew, they knew. Let's look at this again. Great crowds followed him. They started following him. Now that same word is used to describe disciples. I'm not sure if we should read that word follow in the way Jesus spoke to Peter, James, and John and said, follow me. They were not following him as devoted disciples. They were just following because it was amazing to see what he was doing as lives were being touched and healed and changed. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my own, my own story because I was exposed to the healing ministry of Jesus when I first became a Christian at the age of 17. The miracle that I'm referring to is my own conversion. It's a miracle. It's your conversion. It's a miracle that Jesus would change our lives in such a significant way that our appetites change, our ambitions would change, our purpose in life begins to change, because we've been born again by the Spirit of God. I was fortunate upon my conversion to attend a church where the culture of that church encouraged us to serve people in need and in pain. May I just say this? We were not recruited to serve on committees. Church had committees. They did. But those committees didn't drive the church doing hands-on ministry to people in pain and in need was the driving force in that church. The committees then became important as a way to organize and regulate these ministries. But I remember Pastor Lou bringing us together, a group of about 25 of us. I'm not even sure why he picked me to be part of that and invited me to be part of that. But on Monday nights, we gathered together for what he was calling then the School of Ministry. And on Saturday mornings, we did the training Monday nights, Saturday mornings, then he deployed us. And we went out into the streets, we went out into the marketplaces, into the neighborhoods, and we engaged with people, we prayed with them, we talked with them, we encouraged them. And I can remember as a young Christian how nervous, how scared I was. But we saw things happen. We, see, we saw things happen in people's lives. We saw people who were sick being healed. We saw, I literally witnessed demon-possessed and oppressed people being set free. People who were spiritually untethered, finding a home, coming to our church, knowing Jesus. We minister to people's practical and spiritual needs. We delivered food, clothing. We helped renovate people's homes. 
We did street meetings, and I remember once at a street meeting where the pastor asked me to come up and give my testimony. To this day, I don't know what I said. My heart was jumping out of my chest. But you know something? Those experiences transformed my prayer life. Those experiences enlarged my love of Scripture. Those experiences drew me into the recognition that people matter. And most of all, and you need to know this, it was because of those experiences that God began to plant a seed in my heart that, Ray, you are being called to be a pastor. It took me a while to believe that. If you knew anything about me as a, young, a younger man, it's a miracle that I'm standing here before you. My life has never been the same. And I'm convinced, brothers, and you may disagree with me on this, and I'm going to say a couple things that might, might, might stir your heart, but I'm convinced that spiritual growth comes mostly through engagement, serving others, getting out of our comfort zones, engaging in radical obedience to God, and less through sitting in a classroom, sort of gathering theological data points and arguing about how many angels can sit on the head of a needle. I believe that. Am I saying we should stop having Sunday school classes and small groups and Bible studies? No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we need to ensure that we apply our learning to our living. And I'm just going to say it again. That is the gap in the, in the church in the United States and in many Western churches. The reason why the church is exploding in other parts of the world, it's because they have closed the gap between their learning and their living. They've found a way to take what Jesus did and then take it into the streets, take it into their homes, take it into their neighborhoods, and things are happening. And we here in North America, we've got to close the gap. I think one of the, one of the drugs that's caused us to sort of be asleep is that we assume then that because we have a wonderful building, that people will just come to us, and when they come into our box, we're going to minister to them. And many of us don't realize that the landscape has shifted. The church is no longer showing up on people's radar. And actually, that's a good thing because we're going to have to make a choice if the church is to survive, the church, the big C church in this country, we're going to have to close the gap between our learning and our living. Without ministry engagement, we become talking Christians, not serving Christians. Without, without the ministry of engagement, we become inwardly focused instead of being outwardly focused. And so the next question we could think about before we come to the communion table is why did Jesus heal people? And I'm just going to suggest to you a few reasons, not all the reasons, but one of the reasons why Jesus healed people, it comes to us out of Matthew 9, 36, that when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed. When people harass us today, you know what we do? We call a lawyer, we get the police, we have them arrested. These people had no advocate. They were being harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for them. I think that's one reason. I think one of the reasons why Jesus healed people is because healing is a sign 
of the righteous reign of the coming king. Jesus was giving them a foretaste of what life is going to look like when heaven comes to earth. And so I was thinking about these two prophetic promises that you see in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 61. The first one, we hear this read at Christmas, but it is so true. And it's right there in, in, in Mark, in, Mark's, in Matthew's gospel. The people who walked in darkness... That's where a lot of people are today. They've seen a great light. The light came to them. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. And then from Isaiah 61, Jesus then owned these words in, Mark, in Luke 4, where Jesus says, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners. Jesus was fulfilling that which, that which was prophesied and promised. A foretaste. A foretaste. Heaven comes down to earth when the church, under the banner of the kingdom of God, is engaged in the ministry of healing. I think maybe one more reason, not the only reason, is that I think Jesus' healings was challenging the social norms of that time. In his culture, just as in our culture, we are not comfortable with people who are marginalized. We're not comfortable with people who are sick. We're not comfortable with people who are poor. We're not comfortable with people who exhibit some kind of disability. We're not comfortable, and in that culture, the unclean, the leper. And so what, what did they do with them? They left them on the fringes of society, and they loved only the people who looked like them and acted like them. What Jesus was doing, Jesus was showing them by healing these individuals that these people matter to the kingdom of God. Kingdom is open to all who will repent and believe the gospel. So the question then is, the question becomes then, are Christians called, are we being called to emulate the healing ministry of Jesus? And uh, that's a huge question. I'm not going to do justice to it, but let me just quickly say that I believe that all of us are called to emulate the healing ministry of Jesus. And let me just give you a few quick reasons why I say that. Jesus then, in Matthew 9, the text again that I read, he commissioned his disciples to continue the work of healing. He told the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. They had a problem back then with volunteers. That's, that's not, nothing new. But what did Jesus say? How do, how do we solve that problem? He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send. Because the thing I hate, strong word, the thing I don't appreciate is when we guilt people into doing things. We want God to do the sending. When your heart gets renovated, when your heart gets ransacked, nobody can stop you. You are ready to go, church or no church. You see the harvest and you're ready to serve. So what we do is pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers to do what? To fill up the pews? No, to send them out to do what Jesus did. Jesus said to the disciples, freely you received 
freely then give it. And so I believe that what Jesus did then is still relevant for us today. I also believe that it's relevant and it's important that we emulate the practices of Jesus because I think it's wrapped up in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus instructed his disciples to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I believe within that commandment is the call to heal and to care for those in need. And so what Jesus practiced, the 12 practiced, what the 12 practiced, we're called to practice. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. Now, here's what many will say. Well, Pastor, I don't know about this healing thing because not everyone gets healed. I mean, you don't know what happened in my life. I prayed that my mother would. I prayed for my sister. I prayed for my friend. I prayed for my coworker. I prayed for my husband. I prayed for my child. Why wasn't God healing them at that time? And so, yes, I will admit that when we talk about the healing ministry of Jesus, we're not suggesting that everyone we pray for, everyone we engage with, their lives will be touched, their lives would be healed. Even though I know, I know you know, that God has the power to heal everyone. For reasons unknown to us, there are times when God chooses not to heal and the person dies. There are times when Jesus went to, let's say, the rich young ruler. He needed healing, and he told him to sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. Jesus couldn't change his mind. He walked away. Sometimes the healing doesn't happen. God chooses not to heal. I think about Paul, who had a sickness, and he prayed three times to God, God, would you please take this out of my life? And God did not take the sickness out of his life. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. So here's a question I want to ask you. Where in your life today, where in your discipleship today, are you using your hands to bring healing and blessing to others? I would like for you to begin to change the way you think, that you are a healer. Think about it. How long was Jesus on this earth, as far as we can tell? Three years? Yeah, maybe three, maybe three and a half. Did he heal everyone? Hmm? I see a head saying no, he didn't. Did he visit every home? Did he change every disorder in society? He left after three years, modeled that way of life, trained up those disciples, ascended back to the Father, seated at the right hand of God where he's still interceding. And as he was leaving, he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit that will come upon you so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Jesus has left his church in the world to continue the work that he started. You are a healer. The Holy Spirit lives in you. 
Jesus has called you. Jesus is sending you, and he's sending you to those who are hurting. And Jesus promised us, when he told those disciples, and I believe it applies to us, when he said that all authority, and you think of the authority that he encountered in the, in the wilderness with the devil last week, as we heard Richard Haney talk about the battle, the authority of Jesus is over the works of the, of, of the devil. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he said. And then he said, go and make disciples and I will be with you to the end of the age. And I know it's scary to go. Trust me, I've been there and I'm still there. But it's in those moments when we step outside of ourselves and own our identity that we are healers, we're emissaries of the kingdom of God, that God will meet you in that moment. And on those Monday nights, when we were gathering together, I learned a song that to this day defines my approach, a simple little song. It says, oh, to be his hand extended. So this is the school of ministry now. This is the theme song. Oh, to be his hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him. Let me touch Jesus so that others may know and be blessed. That's the song of hands-on ministry. That's the song of a Jesus follower. Lord, use me as a conduit with all of my flaws, with all of my weaknesses, with all of my stumblings. Lord, I want to be a fountain of blessing to someone. But you need to start telling yourself, I'm a healer. And it starts in your home. You know, some of you men here this morning, you're not being a healer to your wife. You're not being a healer to your children. You're being a terror. And some of you wives, maybe you're doing the same thing. And some of you go to work and you're not being a healer at work. You're being a divider. Some of you are right here in the church and you're, you're carrying all kinds of gunk within your heart, unforgiveness, bitterness, pride, arrogance. And, and, and what Jesus wants us to do is to shed all of that. If you're going to be a healer, it starts right in your Jerusalem. And so how I treat my wife at home doesn't do any good that I'm up here preaching and I'm a terror at home. I'm a healer. You're a healer. Your words, your actions. And when you hear about people who are sick, don't just say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. One of the things I often would say is, is it okay if I pray for you? And when you say that, they say, Sure. And then I say, I mean, right now. Oh, you mean right now? Yeah. Why don't we just pray? The thing about praying for healing is that we're not the healers. God is the healer. I just say, Lord, use me. And I've seen things happen. And then other times, nothing happens, at least from my, my eyes. God, use us. Use us, Lord. That's my prayer for us this morning. Be a blessing to someone. Be a blessing to someone. Be a blessing for spreads. Be a blessing. Have people ask. God, use me. Use me for your glory.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.